Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley. And before we jump into today's content, I wanted to talk about a special offer from our friends at Belay. For most of us in positions of organizational leadership, as you know, there is never enough time in the day. I mean, if that's you, it may be time to explore a different approach to how you allot a specific portion of your time. Today's episode partner, Belay, can help you do just that. Now, they can't add more hours to your day, right? But Belay's staffing of highly vetted virtual assistants will help you reclaim some time and delegate tasks that may be keeping you from maximum productivity. Hiring a virtual assistant could be, I'm just saying, could be the single best decision you make for yourself, your organization, and maybe most importantly, it might be one of the best decisions you ever make for your family. Belay's time-tested matching process is designed to meet your exact administrative needs. So if you're ready to transform your workday, Belay is offering a free resource to our listeners. It's entitled The Power of Productivity. The Power of Productivity is a guide to help you refocus and implement efficient strategies so you can get back to doing what you do best. To claim this resource, just simply text Andy, A-N-D-Y, to 55. One two three. That's Andy A N D Y to five five one two three. You'll be glad you did. And now let's jump into today's content. Joining me today as my co-host is our Reverb host Susie Gray. So welcome back, Susie. Thanks, Andy. Good to be here. Yep. And today we're discussing what really should be leadership one hundred and one. And I say should be because it's possible to lead without what we're going to be talking about today. Um, But eventually, I think every leader wishes they had taken seriously what we're talking about today because today we're talking about self-leadership, which honestly is the foundation of exceptional leadership. Andy, that is so true. I have heard you teach on the importance of self-leadership. And while it's important for leaders to pursue, it really begins with a rather discouraging realization. So why don't you start us off on a high note and share that with our audience? Yeah, the the discouraging realization, and I'll just personalize it, is I have participated in every bad decision I have ever made. I was there for all of them, uh, whether it was a bad financial decision, professional decision, hiring decision, organizational decision parenting decision, marriage decision, the list goes on and on. I was there for all my bad decisions. The common denominator of all my bad decisions is me. And of course, the reason I don't mind sharing this, Susie, as you know, is that this is true of you. This is true of everybody listening. We have all participated in every bad decision we've ever made. Uh, We were, I guess you could say, the masterminds behind our greatest regrets. Um, I'm difficult to lead, and I know it, and you're difficult to lead, and you know it. And we know we're difficult to lead because we all attempt it every single day, and the most difficult person we will ever lead is always the person in the mirror. And that's why we say this really is the foundation of exceptional leadership, because it begins with leading the person in the mirror. Well, you and I both know I'm difficult to lead, and while that is discouraging— <laughs> It's also important because, like in anything, awareness is the first step to change. Yep. So yep. this is a really, really big deal. And I've heard you mention three specific reasons why it's such a big deal. So the first reason is you won't be a leader worth following if you don't lead yourself well. And honestly, that's a gut check. Why don't you unpack that one for us? Yeah, well, as all of our podcast listeners know, we are drawn to leaders who demonstrate consistency and authenticity, which always stems from intentional self leadership. 
As I alluded to at the top, self-leadership is not essential to leadership, but it is essential in order to be, as you said, a leader worth following um, because we all know organizational leaders who are a mess personally, right? I mean, in the context of their marketplace leadership, they're phenomenal. They get things done. But we look at their personal lives, their friendships, or lack of friendships, and we think, wow. So again, while we might admire what they have accomplished, we don't necessarily admire them as a person. We don't want to be like them, and we don't really consider them leaders worth following. We, we may want to travel like them. We may want to vacation like them, but we don't want to be like them. Yeah, and unfortunately, I actually think too many people can relate to having at least one leader like that in their career. Yep. I actually can think about two. Uh, back in my days of telecommunications, and it was in the same company, um, but one in particular, I remember so well. He was larger than life. He was so driven, so demanding, and honestly, just kind of callous and mean. And in fact, several people on our team literally went out on stress leave working for him. Oh, wow. But he got results. And so while achievers like me, who love to win, loved that side of him because we always made progress and we always were winning, I would never want to make people that work for me feel like he made all of us feel working for him. That was not a win. So while we're on this, let me admit something. Um, When I was a young leader, I don't, Susie, maybe you felt the same way. When I was a younger leader, I wondered if one resulted in the other. And by that, I mean, I wondered if in order to be successful in the marketplace or successful professionally, it required being a, yeah, that person, right? I, I, I just wondered, I thought, well, maybe it's a choice. I can either be successful personally, successful at home, um, balanced, a good father, a good husband, or I can do something extraordinary and, and sort of impact the world because it seemed like all the famous get-it-done, hard-charging leaders, again, as you said, they were great within their field of expertise, but in terms of their personal life, their friendships, their family life, oftentimes, um, it, you know, they were a disaster. So it's shrapnel uh, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So when we started our organization, what, 28 years ago, I found myself at this crossroads that every leader comes to at some point. There really was not enough time to get everything done. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I looked at what the organization needed for me and I looked at what my family needed for me, we had two in diapers and one that had just gotten out of diapers. Um, there just, there wasn't enough time. And so I decided very intentionally, we'll talk more about how in just a few minutes, to opt for the character piece and the dad piece and the good husband piece over the organizational piece. But at that time, I really was not sure that I could be as successful as I wanted to be at both. I felt like I had to make a choice. And that is a false narrative. But honestly, I believed it. And I'm grateful that really because of how I was raised and my values and um, again, how much I love Sandra and what was going on at home, I really felt like, okay, I'm willing to sacrifice some public success in order to be a success in terms of just my character and you know my calling as a father and a husband. And then, you know, 28 years later, you know, I it's, things have been great. It's all worked out. Yes, it, it really. <laughs> my, and my point isn't that so much as it really is a false dichotomy. Yeah. And so for the young leaders out there who, if your only models are like the gentleman, if we can call him a gentleman mm. that you worked for, mm-hmm. and maybe that's a stretch. Mm-hmm. And again, some of the most famous leaders politically, marketplace leaders, and honestly, even in ministry, there is a way to be successful in both fields. And it really does come back to what we're talking about today, self-leadership. Yes, absolutely. Well, the second reason 
but you say self-leadership is important, is that exceptional self-leadership is the key to sustained influence. Why is sustained influence even important in the life of a leader? Well, influence has the potential to go beyond a professional relationship with somebody. Again, and and we've talked about this before, there's a difference between influence and authority. We can have authority because of a title or a position, but in terms of lasting impact, it really goes back to influence. Let's go back to your example for a minute, and I have not asked you this until just now, so I don't know if we'll have to edit this out or not, but when you no longer worked for that particular company, did it ever occur to you to reach out to the ambitious boss? for advice. In other words, did he continue to have influence once he no longer had authority? Absolutely zero. Oh, really? Oh, good. So that was the right answer. Uh, I did, just I, really, he had none. Right. So, the, and that's my point. Uh, he had authority. Mm-hmm. You admired what he accomplished. But then when the professional relationship went away, you didn't consider him a mentor. This no, I was, breathed a sigh of relief. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he continued to go on and do great things and was successful. But the moment you were no longer under his authority, he lost influence. Well, great leadership is able to, and great leaders are able to extend their influence beyond the context of a particular job or company or even industry. And so... For that to happen, for those the leaders who are listening, if you want your influence to go beyond an org chart, you have to do a good job with self-leadership because that's what gives you sustained influence. We rarely open ourselves up willingly to the influence of people we don't respect. We may have to do what they ask us to do because we work for them, but we rarely open ourselves up voluntarily to people we don't respect. We may do what they ask us to do, again, because they're our boss or our manager, but in terms of being open to their influence beyond their position and title, we only open ourselves up to the influence of people we have respect for. And who do we respect? Well, we respect people who lead themselves well. In fact, everybody who's listening, just think for a minute about the people you have the most respect for, not even necessarily professionally, but just the people you respect the most. Here's what I know about those people. They lead and have led themselves well because self-leadership, or I should say good self-leadership, leads to influence every single time. So for the leaders out there who want to have more than authority but who want to have influence, self-leadership is extraordinarily important. In fact, it's absolutely essential. Yeah, I feel like that has definitely held true in my world as well. So the third and final reason that you gave that self-leadership is important is because it leads to exceptional leadership, which is the key to sustained performance. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So here's something all of our podcast listeners know to begin with. Um, when a senior leader in an organization gets taken out or burns out, generally it's because of poor self-leadership. It's rarely ever a talent issue or they wouldn't have gotten to the point they are in the organization. It's generally not a skill issue. It's generally a personal issue. There's performance and then there's sustained performance. So to go the distance, self-leadership is not an add-on. It really is an essential. Or in other words, you could put it this way, great leaders last because they lead themselves first. Mm, That's good. Let's repeat that one. Yeah. Great leaders last because they lead themselves first. Self-leadership really for leaders, it really is your primary or our primary responsibility as a leader. Um, And it begins, as we said earlier, every morning in the mirror. And if I can keep that person, the person in the mirror between the rails, if I can get that person straightened out and keep them straightened out, everything else pretty much follows. Again, based on talent, based on opportunity, but it ensures that our talent and our opportunities are maximized because we're healthy enough to maximize them. 
So you, we just talked about great leaders lead themselves first, um, and that's a really, really big deal. So let's talk about what it actually looks like to lead yourself first. Can you provide our audience with a deeper understanding of that idea? Yeah, well, the short answer is it really comes down to aligning our actions with our values, our behaviors with what we really believe is most important. And when there's a lack of congruity, it's a bit like your car. When the front end is out of alignment, everything rattles, everything shakes, everybody in the car is uncomfortable. So it really comes down to whatever disciplines are necessary. And I think for different ones of us, the disciplines may be different. But at the end of the day, there has to be alignment with what I do and what I value what I do and what I say and what I believe is most important. Well, I think that's true in all of us, that we look for congruence in the people that we allow to influence yeah, us. Yeah, nobody is open to the influence of a, an overt hypocrite. Right. I mean, if, if people aren't walking their talk, we're suspicious. That's we, right. We close up and shut down, yeah. For sure. So now that we've established the importance of self-leadership, let's turn to practical decisions that leaders can make to improve their self-leadership. Yeah, well, here's what I've discovered about this, and obviously there's so much more that could be said, but I think there are at least three decisions leaders can make to improve their self-leadership that they can begin with now. The first one is this, and this may be the most important one. It's perhaps the most difficult one, and that decision is this. It's deciding I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. Oof. That I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. And this is... For me, this is difficult in organizational life because I want things to go great. Because of my position in our organization, I take it very personally. When things aren't going well, I don't feel well, mm -hmm. right? And when things are going great, I feel great. So, of course, the tendency for me will be to overlook what's not going well and to focus on what is going well and to exaggerate what's going well and to think it's going weller than it's actually going because my emotions and to some extent my self-esteem is not just wrapped up in my personal performance but in the health and the direction of the entire organization. So it, I'm constantly tempted, um, and, and don't share this with anyone, Susie, okay, I'm constantly tempted to lie to myself <laughs> about how well things are going because I feel better about myself. So this first decision really is, it's, it's in some ways, it's a keystone decision. I will not lie to myself, even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. I'm not going to lie to myself about myself, and I'm not going to lie to myself about the health, the culture, or the direction of the organization. Um, to lead ourselves well, it's, it's sort of like leading anybody else. If I'm going to lead you well, I have to be honest with you about the areas where you need improvement. And there aren't many Susie, so you should be encouraged. <laughs> um, and, but to lead myself well, it's, it's the same thing, right? So if I lie to myself to make myself feel better about myself, I'm failing as a leader. Honest evaluation is essential to improvement. Anybody who's ever sat through a one-on-one -on -one or does a one-on-one -on -one or a 360, you understand that. You, we don't learn anything from a 360 if the people involved weren't honest. Right. We don't learn anything from self-evaluation if we're not honest with ourselves. And you're an Enneagram One, so you're always honest well, with yourself. Well, not always, or hard. But, but maybe it's an advantage. Ian Cron's the one who told me that I was a one on the Enneagram. I remember that. And I said, uh, How do you know that? He said, Well, do you have an inner critic? And I'm like, Well, everybody does. He says, No, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm like, Well, how do I get mine to shut up? You know, because it's con so. It, so at the end of the day, it's it's more difficult to be honest with ourselves on, sometimes than it is to be honest with the people around us. 
Bottom line, exceptional self-leadership requires brutal honesty with ourselves. And if we can't be honest with ourselves, we're never going to move past the things that hold us back. So number one, we have to be brutally honest with ourselves. Well, and you actually have a question that goes with this principle that's really an awful question, but is so helpful when we're trying to get at this, don't you? Yes. And it is a terrible question. And Mm. the question is this. It's looking in the mirror and asking the question, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Andy, why are you going there? Why are you sending this email? Why are you texting rather than calling? Why are you emailing rather than walking down the hall? Why are you putting this off? Why are you avoiding her? Why are you avoiding him? Why are you attempted to exaggerate? Um, I could go on and on and on and on. But then I ask it a second way. I pause and then I say, Andy, why am I doing this really? Mm. And the reason I have to ask it twice and I encourage everybody to ask it twice is because the first thing that comes to mind when I ask the question, why am I doing this, oftentimes isn't true. Just excuses. It's just an excuse, (laughs) right? It is totally an excuse. Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Why am I planning this? Really, it's acknowledging the reality of what's going on versus telling myself a story or creating a narrative that really doesn't reflect reality. And when leaders aren't leading through the filter of reality, they aren't going to lead well. We just can't lead well. If we're kidding ourselves, we're going to attempt to kid everybody else. If we're fooling ourselves, we're going to attempt to fool everybody else. And the super smart dialed in people around us, they know that. They know. They see through it immediately. And depending on the culture of the organization, they may or they may not say anything. So in order to lead ourselves well, we have to be brutally honest with ourselves. And I think that means you have to hit the pause button every once in a while. And for me, Asking that question and asking it both ways covers, probably covers a multitude of future issues, and it certainly reduces the number of apologies that I have to make later on. So the first decision for those who want to be exceptional self-leaders is simply to decide, I will not lie to myself, even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. Just the question alone we just talked about would be a great start. And as good as that is, there are actually two more decisions every leader should make for great self-leadership. The second one is, I will prioritize what I value most over what I want now. Talk through that. Yeah, the best way to understand this is to think in terms of organizational leadership. If you're leading a team toward a goal, there is some sort of end game. There's some sort of win, right? Well, the same is true with self-leadership. In self-leadership, there's an end game. There's a goal. There's a win. So the question is, what is the end game? What is the goal? Uh, And the people who lead themselves well lead themselves toward what they value the most, not what they want in the moment. And and I don't know if every time, but on many occasions, there's a short-term win that actually can become an obstacle to the ultimate win. There's generally something I want now in the moment versus what I ultimately want. So self-leadership, part of self-leadership is recognizing that and realizing, uh uh-oh, I'm about to opt for a short-term gain, a short-term win. Sometimes I'm about to opt for something that benefits me that may be a detriment to the organization. And ultimately, I value the health of the organization. So it's deciding I will prioritize what I value most over what I want now. But here's the catch. If I'm leading myself toward what I value most, it means I cannot lead myself well until I identify what I value most. And this is something I think, especially for young leaders, that's easy to miss. Um, because again, there are other people holding the carrot out in front of us 
And if we're not careful, we confuse those carrots, whether it's a raise or a promotion or the next opportunity, we confuse that with what we value the most. And so it it takes a little bit of maturity to stop and say, okay, all of that's attractive and I'm honored and I'm thrilled that I'm being offered these opportunities and people recognize my talent, my skill. But wait a minute, you know, what do I value the most? And again, creating that differentiation and identifying that differentiation really sets us up to lead ourselves well. We always know what we want now. We always know what we want now. But until we do the work of identifying what we value most, we will not be able to lead ourselves well. Yeah, and like you said, that can be more difficult than it really appears, right? So there's an exercise that helps with this that you've mentioned before. It's from uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Tell us about that. Yeah, and I, I think we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, but I don't know a better way to get to the heart of what we value most. And some of you have read The Seven Habits. Um, some of you have not. Some of you, your your fathers or mothers read it, and you're, you know, it's a big, thick paperback book that sits on somebody's shelf. But it's a fabulous book. Um, it's In so many ways, it's timeless. But in the book, um, Stephen Covey recommended that readers stop reading the book and actually work through the following exercise. And Susie, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading a book and the author tells me to stop and do something, I just ignore that. I really don't reading. want to. I want no, to keep going. because I want to finish the book. Yep. <laughs> and I, again, and this is an example of what we're talking about. The value of reading a book is not finishing the book. But when you're reading a book, the short-term win is, I finished the book. I, I can tell people... I read that book. I read that whole book. <laughs> but the, you know, the the ultimate value is gleaning principles. from learning principles. So anyway, mm. on this particular occasion, many years ago, I decided, okay, I'm going to put the book down and I'm actually going to work through this exercise. And he calls it the funeral exercise. And here's what he recommends. He said, stop and write down what you would want to hear from a list of people at your funeral. They're they're participating in your eulogy. They're celebrating your life. And then he goes through a list. What would you want a spouse to say about you? What would you want a child to say about you? When I did this exercise, we had just gotten married and I didn't have any kids. So I even, I imagined what would I want a son or a daughter to say about me at my funeral? What would you want a best friend to say? What would you want a coach to say? What would you want your boss to say? What would you want someone you worked with? So he takes you through this sort of concentric circles of relationships and write down what you would want to hear them say at your funeral. Well, when I did this and I looked at and I wrote and wrote and wrote, I spent, you know, a couple of days I would spend time reading. But instead of reading, I just kept working through this exercise and wrote all of this out. And 100 percent of the things I wrote down related to my character, Hmm. nothing related to my performance or my accomplishments, not a single one. Well, in that moment, what happened for me is what happens really, I think, for almost anybody that works through this. I discovered what I valued the most. Mm -hmm. And it took stopping and working through, you know, starting with the end in mind. So when that happened, I looked at all this information and I boiled it down to a list of seven words, started with nine, got it down to seven, And I wrote these seven words down and I realized, Andy, this is your definition of success. Your success for you really is about the person you are, not what you accomplish. And these seven words that I'm not going to share, so don't ask, these seven you words— You can't have your, yeah. his words. you got to get your own <laughs> right, words. you got to get your own <laughs> words. I'll tell you. I'll give you an example maybe in a minute. But they kind of became like fence posts around my behavior. So, for example, one of my words was 
honest that, you know, if Andy tells you something, you can you take it to the bank. You, you, can, you can know he's telling the truth, that I would want to be willing to tell the truth, even when it made me look bad. So what happened is, and this is just an example. So when I recognized the importance of honesty, dishonesty wasn't simply, you know, in, in my religious thinking, a sin. And dishonesty wasn't just bad. For me, dishonesty was failure. It was failure because you stepped I had, on your values. Right. I had predetermined that being known as a person you can trust what they say, that's what I considered success, not just always a good person. That's success. So suddenly those kind of virtues and those values became success versus failure, not just good person versus not so good person. And that's the mm. power of discovering what we value most. And until we understand what we value most, we will always run the risk of opting for what I want now and run the risk of sacrificing what I ultimately value the most. I mean, that is literally opting for the ultimate versus the immediate, yeah, which yeah. we would never regret doing. No. Ever. Mm-mm. No, and, and those are the people we admire. Right. right. The people that make those willing. choices. Exactly. So good. Well, the final decision a leader can make to improve their self-leadership, there's one more. What is it? The third decision is I will not attempt to lead myself by myself. Mm. This took longer to learn than I would like to admit because— the profile of a great leader publicly, you know, whether you're reading articles, you hear the stories, you watch documentaries, they all look kind of like the Lone Rangers. And I know that dates me. Nobody knows what the Lone Ranger is anymore. But, you know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? And Batman had Robin, Robin. you know. Mm-hmm. But there, there's this picture of these iconic leaders, and they just— they just kind of, they're a force of nature. They kind of drag the, inf- the the organization forward. They have all the answers. They're the smartest person in the room. And behind the scenes, that's never the case. No. Not especially leaders who not only do extraordinary things, but lead themselves well. The bottom line is you can't lead yourself well by yourself. Um, to our podcast leaders, my guess is this. I bet your greatest regrets were with friends, not enemies, your greatest regrets (laughs) were with people you liked that in some cases now you wish you had never met Um, because our friends determine the direction and the quality of our lives. Um, You know, if you have kids, you may want to tattoo that on their their wrist, right? Your friends (laughs) determine the direction and quality of your life. It's true. So we need people in our life with common values that are moving in the same direction and that have permission to point things out to us that we may not be able to see ourselves. It's not enough to have friends that you like the same restaurants and the same music. I mean, that's great. You need people around you who have the same values, Mm -hmm. who like you want to be a person of integrity, who want to end well with relationships, who want to end well with their kids and with their spouse. So finding those people, doing life with them, it's absolutely essential because we are inspired by people who lead themselves well. That's what inspires us to want to be that kind of leader. So surrounding ourselves with people who are leading themselves well it's it's absolutely it's absolutely critical. I could not agree with this one more. I have a few friends in my life that are great leaders, but they're also great friends. Yep. And they help me see things that I'm missing, my blind spots, things that I may have not considered, and I cannot imagine not having those people in my life. I am definitely a better version of me because of them. And that's really the power of this decision. Yeah. And Susie, I'll just say this about you since we're talking about this. You really do go out of your way more than anyone 
that I know to find those people. I mean, there are people that are already in your circle of influence that have influence on you because of who you work with and because the relationships you have because you've lived in Atlanta a long time. But I've seen you go out of your way to pursue other leaders to get on their calendar, ask them to coffee. And I'm, I'm constantly surprised when in a conversation you'll say, oh, yeah, I was talking, you know, and you'll name these people. And I'm like, how did, when were you talking to them? But you have, you have, again, you have sought out the people who are doing well, who are ending well, who are leading themselves well. And uh, you've been very proactive about that. And uh, consequently, you know, you're inspired to lead yourself well. So, well, well, I I really feel like that has been a gift of people that are willing to give me time and um, leverage their experience and the work that they've done on themselves to help me a better, be a better version of myself. So it is a, it is a gift for sure. We are drawn to those That's right. people, not just those who accomplish a great deal, but those who have led themselves well. Well, and speaking of well, that is about all the time we have today. In fact, we've gone a little long today. Um, But the good news is next week, we're going to be back together in the studio. We're going to tease this out a little bit more on Reverb. Yeah, it'll be interesting because you and I typically get to talk about your conversation with the guests that you had interviewed, and then we dig deeper on the topic. But this time, we'll be talking about our own conversation. We'll be kind of like talking to ourselves about ourselves. I think but so. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, all of the, oh, I wish we had talked about. And I was reading a Forbes article recently relating to this topic, and I'd love to get your take on it. So yep. we can talk about more of that next week. That'll be great. I look forward to that. So to all of our listeners, we want to thank you for joining us and invite you to visit andystanley.com, the andystanley.com website where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of this fascinating discussion plus questions for reflection for your team or any group that you're currently leading. And as we just mentioned, make sure you join us next week for our Reverb episode on this very same topic of leading yourself well right here on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast.